All right, a bit of word association to kick things off. When you hear the word church, what's the word that pops into your mind? When you hear the word church? 6 p.m., <laughs> 6 p.m. okay. <laughs> Interesting. All right, what about family? You don't need to answer that one. There might be a few things that shouldn't be said in church. What about what were the feelings? When you hear the word church, what are the sort of feelings that are conjured up within you? What about family? What are some of the feelings that are conjured up inside you when you hear the word family? Well, what is church? Well, there's lots of metaphors throughout the Bible, lots of descriptions for what church actually is. You have uh, it described as the body of Christ. Uh, it's described as a temple, the new temple. It's described as the home of God. But probably the description it's given most in the New Testament is that is the family, the family of God. And that's what we're looking at in this series, side by side. Now, this isn't just a nice idea. It's not something that we kind of say from the stage like, oh, we're a church family. Oh, isn't that sweet? We're family. We just kind of chuck it out there because it sounds nice and sounds friendly. No, being family is at the root of who God is. It's at the root of the very essence of God. See, God is a truly relational God at his core, at his being. In 1 John 4, 8, it says, God is love. And the Bible presents God as existing as a, a triune being, as three in one. He's been in relationship with himself, within the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Spirit since before time began. God is relational, and that is why we, as his church, are relational, and why we love. And Mike Reeves, theologian and author, says this. Just imagine for a moment a single person God, having been alone for eternity, would it want fellowship with us? Seems unlikely, most, li uh, most unlikely. Would it even know what fellowship was? Almost certainly not. Such a God might allow us to live under its rule in protection, but little more. Think of the uncertain hope of the Muslim or the Jehovah's Witness. They may finally attain paradise, but even there, they will have no real fellowship with their God. That God would not want it. But if God is a father whose very life has been about loving and delighting in his precious son, then you begin to see a God who would have far more intimate and marvelous aims. Aims to draw us into his life and joy. To embrace us with the very love he has for his dear son. Have you ever wondered why there's a trinity, that slightly confusing thing that God is three, but he's one? Well, the whole thing behind the trinity is that if God wasn't trinity, then he couldn't be love. Because love takes someone else to love. There has to be an other. And so God is one, but he's also three, three in one. And when we read the Bible, God's plan has always been to fill the earth through families, who he is overflowing onto his plan for us as human beings. From Genesis at the beginning of the Bible to Revelation at the end of the Bible, there's this plan that we see over and over again that God is willing to use groups and communities and families to reach the world because it reflects the core of who he is. 
And as church, we are a family. We're not an event. You know, we say things like, I'm going to church, or this is the church building. But as church, we're not a, a, a building or an event. We're a family. And if you were to read the, the New Testament where the church is being formed, you'd find it hard to, to get any sort of notion of they went to church as a building or they uh, went to church as a weekly event between 6 and 7.30. So what does it look like for our church to be family? Because we chucked that word around. So let's just drill down into this. So what does it look like for church to be family? And it's important for us to ask that question because let's be honest. A lot of us have baggage around the whole concept of family. Now, I don't know what your family looked like, looked like or looks like. Or what, when I said, what was your word association or your feeling association with the word family? But I know for all of us, there'll be some sort of baggage or emotion or sort of hang-ups or issues associated with the word Family. And over the years, I've heard lots of people teaching about how the way we view the word or the concept of father can affect how we view our concept of God as father. Maybe you've heard that teaching. If, if we kind of have a view of, of God as a father, but our father was a certain way that it can affect how we view God. But I've never heard anyone teach about how the way in which we view the concept of family can affect the way in which we view our church family. All our hang-ups and baggage. I was chatting to someone quite recently and they said, John, I've noticed how you say about us being family at six o'clock church a lot. And you, you always talk about that. But it doesn't motivate me at all. And when it got, we got to the root of it, actually for them, every time I'm on the stage talking about family, actually that was a negative association for them. Now, if that's what you're pitching, John, I'm not interested. So we all have these things that we need to be aware of. And many of us have not seen family modelled well. Many of us have been in dysfunctional families. Families where there was always conflict. Or families where there was never conflict because people were too nervous about sharing their actual opinion. Or maybe you were just distant from your family or never knew your dad or your mum or your siblings or... You did have your siblings, but you're always competing with them and you knew where you fit in the pecking order. You knew who the favorite was. You knew who got treated best. And some people here, we have a, a view of family that's never really matured since we were a kid. And we're kind of stuck in that season of life from when we were a child. That time where your parents cooked for you and cleaned for you and did your washing and paid the bills and kind of did all that sort of stuff. And now, I know there's, we were joking about this with a few of my mates recently, how you have that time where you go back to visit your parents and you ever have this where you kind of revert into that childhood form and that you're kind of sat on the sofa and your mum's kind of looking after you and doing all the cooking and it's like you're, you're six or seven years old all over again. Now, that's kind of funny when it's happening every few months and your mum probably secretly loves it and enjoys kind of reliving your childhood a little bit. It's not so funny when you're a fully grown adult and you're coming to church every week and you're viewing your church family in the same way. See, some of us are fully grown adults, yet we turn up to church every Sunday with our laundry bags in our hand and we're expecting to be served rather than to serve. 
We come ready to have our washing done rather than coming ready to wash one another's feet. See, the Christian life isn't all about me and what I can get. Yeah, we're blessed and yeah, we receive so much. But as we mature as Christians, when we grow up from being little kiddie Christians, we realize that the Christian life is about what I can give, how I can serve my brothers and sisters. And the Bible makes it clear that family is about what we can do for one another. In fact, that phrase, one another, is mentioned over a hundred times in the New Testament. It says things like, forgive one another, confess your sins to one another, be devoted to one another, serve one another, pray for one another, graciously challenge one another, encourage one another, love one another. That is what family looks like. That's what family looks like. And that sort of family is attractive. It's attractive. Now, John 13, 35, Jesus says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. How will people in the outside world know that we are followers of Jesus? How? He says, if you have love for one another. See, this sort of family where we love one another stands out and draws people to it. It's a new sort of family that the world can't see or know. It's a new sort of community, a new community. That is what we are living for. And this family is diverse. It's a diverse family. And if you want something that's going to be attractive to the outside world, it's this. Because our society is more divided than ever before. You don't need me to prove that to you. You can go on to BBC News tonight and you'll have all the evidence you need. There's more hatred between people groups than in my lifetime anyway than we've ever seen before. And against that backdrop, we have an opportunity as a church family to show that we have unity, not because we're all the same, but because we're people from different backgrounds and stories and political leanings and financial situations, races and ages and stages of our walk with God. We're different, yet we're united by one thing. So it's diverse. Secondly, this family is fulfilling. Now, our blood relatives are important, really important. God commands us, not just suggests, he commands us to honour our parents, to provide for children, to care for our spouses. But when we're adopted into the family of God, we now have bonds with one another, brothers and sisters, relationships between us that are eternal. Bonds that go deeper than DNA. Now, I have more in common with my church family as a result of Jesus than my blood relatives who don't know him. In Ephesians 4, it says this. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to what? Adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. We've been adopted into the family of God, and now we have more in common with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ 
than with our own flesh and blood. See, I love my uncles and aunties, and I, and I have many who, who don't know Jesus, and I'm passionate about seeing them come to know him. I pray that day comes. But the truth is, I have more in common with the person. If you come here for the first time today, and you've given your, your life to Jesus today, you are more my brother, more my sister, than the uncles and aunties I've been visiting every Christmas for years. We're family. Thirdly, this sort of family is forgiving. We have a reason to forgive. Time and time again, I've seen families torn apart by unforgiveness. That might be the story of your family. You even get families where you say, well, we, we don't talk to that uncle. And you say, oh, really? How long? 30 years. Why? I can't even remember now, to be honest. I can't even remember why they're the black sheep, but we just don't talk to that side of the family. So many families are ripped apart by unforgiveness, but not in this family. See, in the family of God, we forgive one another. Is it painful? Oh, yes. I've had some of the hardest moments in my life have been forgiving people in church who've hurt me so deeply. But how can I hold back for forgiveness? Forgiveness from a brother or sister when Jesus has forgiven me of everything I've done in my own life. See, unforgiveness has no place in the family of God. This is a family that stands out because we forgive. Now, a lot of you would have heard this sort of teaching maybe before about church's family. It might not be new to you. So if that's the case, why don't we always live this out? What stops us from doing that? Well, I think there's a handful of reasons. First of all, being family takes inspiration. You need to have a motivation for why you're going to love one another, even when it hurts. And our motivation is this. We love because he first loved us. That's our motivation. In John 13, 34, Jesus says, Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. In John 3, 1 John 3.16, it says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. See, Jesus took the first step. We weren't there being kind of all loving and kind and good and living these great lives. No, Jesus took the first step towards us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He gave everything for us. And so when we look at Jesus, when we look at his love for us, it stirs us to want to love in the same way. See, it's almost impossible to look at his love and then hold it back from others. That's our motivation. We love because he first loved us. So firstly, it takes inspiration if we're going to do this. Secondly, I think one of the reasons that we struggle to be family is that it takes effort. It's not natural. The truth is, I don't want to hang out with people who aren't like me. I don't. It's a lot easier to hang out with people who are just like me. It's less awkward. There's more things to talk about. It doesn't get as weird. So if we're going to have family, we're going to have to fight for it. Because cliqueiness is far easier than community. Cliqueiness, being in your little clique, in your little huddle, is far easier than community. It's the biggest problem in all churches on the planet. What are you going to do when the church service is over? Am I going to talk to the people I always talk to? The people I came with, the people I'll leave with? 
The people who uh, I know will be uh, kind of easy to talk to. I'm going to, oh, definitely avoid that person. I tried that a few weeks back and never again. It's far easier just to stick with the people you know rather than build community. I also think, let's, let's be real, I think for some people it, it takes more effort because of our personalities. Some of us here tonight are introverts, some of us massive introverts. And the thought of chatting to people and meeting up with people during the week is a lot harder. It's a lot harder. And it's good to recognize that. See, there's certain parts of the Christian faith that can be harder for introverts. Just like there's some parts of the Christian faith, faith that is far harder for extroverts. Like having time alone with God, that silence in solitude. It doesn't come as easy for a lot of us extroverts. But just because something isn't as easy within our personality, whilst it's good to recognize that, we need to ask God for his help to give us strength where we're weak. Thirdly, one of the reasons you don't have family is because it takes time. See, family doesn't fit neatly into a tidy little box. It's not just a one day a week sort of thing. In family, sometimes unplanned things come up that you wish had never happened. Even tonight, just chatting to someone, the whole plans for today have gone out the window because something that's come up in the church family. See, family is messy. It's spontaneous. It doesn't fit into set hours or set nights of the week. Not real family. Family looks like unexpected late nights, long phone calls, emergencies, sacrifice. Times where you're there for people when you didn't plan to be because they just need a friend. Because you know there'll be times where they'll be there for you when you needed a friend and they didn't plan to be. The truth is, you can't have both community and control. You can't have both community and control. Control of your time, control of your emotion. No. You either have community or control of those things. See, consumers have control. Family members don't. We have a choice. You can have one or the other. Either you can have community or you can have control. Fourthly, one of the reasons we don't have family is it takes emotions. When I'm talking about family here tonight, even church family, for a lot of people here, I know from a lot of conversations... This is a painful topic because you've tried to put yourself out there. You tried to make friends and it's all fallen apart. People who you invested time in, who now ghost you on WhatsApp, never replied to your messages. People who you trusted secrets to, who then betrayed your trust. People who claim to be Christians but then treat you very differently than Jesus or the Jesus you thought you knew would have treated you. And like I say, the most probable Some of the the most painful moments of my life have come from Christians who have done things that I I hope one day in God's grace I will be able to fully move on from, but it hurts so bad. I get it. If you think you've been hurt in church, let's share stories. I get it. I 100% get it. It's painful. And there's those moments where you just think, seriously, you're a Christian and that's how you're going to treat me? Can't you just be kind and just think, I don't know if I can be bothered with this anymore. And the truth is, I've hurt other people too. I've hurt people. In John 13, 34, we read Jesus saying, love one another as I have loved you, the verse we've been focusing on tonight. 
If you've got your Bible open, you can read the very next verses. What happens? You can see the subheading. It says, Jesus foretells Peter's denial. So what's just happened? He's just said, love one another, love one another. Come on, I love you so much, guys. And in the next sentence, he's talking about how Peter, his closest friend, is literally about to ditch him and deny him and betray him. Jesus gets it. If you've been hurt by people you care about, people who said they'd be one way but were complete another way, Jesus gets it. And he says, you know what? Still love them. Keep on loving them. It hurts, but it's so freeing. Fifthly, I think one of the reasons that we don't have family is because often we just don't know how. We don't know what church is supposed to look like or family is supposed to look like. So we're going to get really practical and just look at some uh, real tangible ways that we can love one another's family. Now, Dr. Gary Chapman, you might have heard him, he's a guy who's discussed the five different ways in which we experience and express love. These are known as the five love languages. These are really helpful to research. They're really good to look at ways in which you can be a better friend or a better spouse or a better parent or child, a way in which you can love one another better. really encourage you to look into the five love languages. And they help us to look at how we can love one another in more holistic ways. Not just in the ways in which we kind of experience or understand love, but in the ways in which everyone experiences love. And so let's see how we can do that as a church. First of all, first love language is words of affirmation. Encouragement. Encouragement. Send someone a text. Maybe, you, you know, they did a, you know, Abby, like today during the, the worship time, just bringing that great word. Say, Abby, I thought it was great how you were praying for church during the day and you brought that word in, really spoke to me. Just send a little text. Or send it to an, oh, at community on Wednesday night. Like, I just loved how you were so honest about what you're struggling with. If you want to be really radical, why not send a letter? Ooh. Now, some of you, uh, if you're under the age of like 25, you may not have ever experienced this. It's called pen and paper. Um, again, I can, it sort of looks a bit like this white stuff in like kind of a long, bite. anyway, I'll, I'll explain later. But pen and paper, how cool is it when you get a letter through the post? In an age where it's just so easy to send a quick message to someone, there's something so special about receiving something handwritten that costs like 50, I mean, stamps are expensive now, like first class 50p, like I know it's getting ridiculous and times are tight, but spending 50p on a stamp and going to a post box, wherever they are, if you can find one, like going down, like the effort taken to give someone a letter, I love it. I got a letter sent from America to me recently. It's just so cool, like, so special holding. They could have just sent me a WhatsApp. It would have saved them a lot of time and money. But there's something special about doing something handwritten. Wouldn't it be cool if just this week, each one of us sent one letter to someone, just encouraged them, saying, hey, look, I'm thinking of you. I'm praying for you. I just want to say I think you're great. And here's a letter. If you could send me 50p back, that would be great. (laughs) Just think, another just practical way, this something I've said before and people are like, whoa, I never thought about it. It's a little practical way. When you're chatting to someone, if they say to you after church tonight, that you say, what's your week looking like? And they say, I've got an interview on Wednesday. Get your phone out straight away and put a reminder in your diary or whatever app you use on Wednesday. Pray for Abby uh, on Wednesday, interview coming or whatever it is. Uh, Abby's working at the church at the moment. We're trying to kick her out. That was a subtle hint. Um, but... <laughs> 
just write it down on your phone or, or so and so. So then it comes to Wednesday, you text him, say, hey, look, I know your operation is this afternoon. I'm praying you have peace. Here's a verse from the Psalms that I think just, you know, God was share, saying to share with you. And then follow up the next day. Hey, how was the operation yesterday? How, is the recovery going okay? It's so special when you, and you might say, well, shouldn't you just be able to remember without having to use your phone? Maybe, my memory's terrible, but we've got smartphones, so why don't we just use them for something productive other than just taking pictures of cats and use them to actually bless us as a church? Genuinely, it will change relationships, and it doesn't have to take an amazing memory, but it's an act of love that shows intentionality, and you're not just making small talk on a Sunday. Use your phones for the kingdom of God. Secondly, Second love language is gifts. When you love someone or you love something, you spend money on it. That's what you do. Jesus said it this way. He said, where your treasure is, there is your heart. He said, where your treasure, treasure goes, that reveals what your heart is, what you care about, what you love. So if you're here as someone who says, I care about this church family. Many of us here are guests. I get that. You're not in this place yet. But if you're saying New Community Church isn't just somewhere I go to on a Sunday, but it's a family I'm part of, then put your treasure where your heart is. In practical ways, that could be setting up a standing order for the church, giving regularly. But then also doing things like spontaneous gifts to people. I love those stories when you hear about someone saying, you know, I was really tight. I was struggling for money. And then someone turned up at my door with an envelope of cash. Or, you know, I was really struggling uh, to, to make ends meet and that bill came that was unexpected and then someone spoke to me on Sunday and then they transferred me some money that week, completely unexpected. I love those stories. And they only come about because people like you and me are responsive to God and say, because I love people, I want to give to them. Wouldn't it be a cool thing? Wouldn't it be amazing as a church, especially Six Dot Church? We're younger. We live in this crazy expensive, uh, expensive city. We don't have tons of money. But wouldn't it be amazing if more and more people are hearing stories of us here at Six O'Clock Church just giving radically, generously? I, I long for the day where we're hearing testimonies every week of people just saying, I was struggling and then I'd never told anyone, but then that envelope in the post came with the handwritten cards and a bit of cash. Let's be that sort of family. The third love language is acts of service. Serving one another. Again, this is something that we can do on Sundays. Every week the church is run, not because we've got 100 professional paid staff, but because people like you serve every, every week or once a month or whatever it might be, making it all happen. Even the host team tonight, arriving early, putting out chairs, the projection team getting here early, setting these things up, the worship team during the week practicing and preparing. These things all happen because people serve into the family. And first of all, I just want to say thank you to everyone who serves. This church genuinely couldn't run without you. And if you're not already serving, what an amazing opportunity to start expressing that in the, the life of the church, expressing family. But then it's also, again, the spontaneous things. Whilst there's something great about doing the regular serving, let's live a life of service. When you hear that someone's ill, say, hey, can I cook for you? Someone who doesn't have a car needs help moving, say, hey, can I, can I help you move house? Let's be the type of people where we offer lifts and babysit and, and we're just regularly doing things for one another because we're family. Fourth love language, physical touch. In 1 Corinthians 16.20, Paul tells the church, greet one another with a holy kiss. 
Now I get it. For some people, when you hear that verse, you're like, I'm not sure how that particularly, or some of you are like, yeah, I've been waiting for John to preach on that one. <laughs> Let's be honest, our culture is not really the sort of place where we're doing like, sort of vibe, like we're not France, all that. I once went to Italy and it was a struggle, like I, I tried to get into it, the whole kissing guys on the cheek thing, but you know, look, we're not there as a culture. Maybe some of us are a bit more sort of London city life where you, you kind of kiss everyone at your cocktail parties or whatever, but most of us find it a little bit awkward. So how can we express this in our own culture? Well, for some of us, that might, the next step might be give someone a handshake, just as that kind of physical connection. Or even better, why not ooh, give them a hug? Give them a hug. And not one of those cold, awkward, distant ones. You know what I'm talking about. I've seen how some people hug here at church. It is horrible. It literally looks like you're worried you're going to catch some contagious disease. Like there's so much distance. Like you're like, Ugh, you're barely even, it's just like, just don't do that. It's better to do no hug than that one. Or even like the, uh, oh, oh, get carried away here, but come on, help me, Lord. The side hug vibes, like some of these side hugs are going so distant, they almost back to back. Like if you want to hug someone, hug someone, hug someone. Let's have meaningful physical connections with people. Let's model that we're brothers and sisters, not awkward around one another, but family. Let's live this out. Yeah, we might not do the holy kiss, but at least let's hug each other like we like each other. The next one. I could talk about that from for a while. Maybe we'll do a hugging seminar next time. But <laughs> Next up, fifth love language, quality time. Now, to have quality time with people, you have to show up. You actually have to show up. You need to be consistent and make showing up a priority. We've had a lot of conversation in uh, both from the stage but in just in our kind of communities and stuff about this whole issue of flaking. It's interesting, back in January I spoke on flaking and even in recent weeks I had a lot of people say, man, I felt so challenged about flaking. And uh, a couple of weeks back I, I shared a story about my friend Hazel who um, had thrown a party and I arrived late for it, rushed in and um, she was sat on her own and every single person she invited, apart from myself, had not showed up. I flaked on the day. And the amount of people after I shared that story were like, I couldn't believe it, I couldn't believe it. Yet flaking is a huge part of our culture. Not just out there, but at six o'clock church. And we know it. It's why we're responding when these stories are shared. Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And yes, yeah, sometimes, you know, we'll make plans and it doesn't work out. And sometimes we'll need to say maybe because we're not sure rather than we want to say no, but we're too kind of cowardly to actually just say no. And so we say maybe, but never actually show up. These things happen. But let's make our word be something people can trust. If we say, I'm going to be there, be there. If we say, uh, you know, I'm going to commit to this team, I'm going to commit to this community, show up every time. Make it a priority. Yes, things will come up, but there's times which you'll have to sacrifice things. I know of someone who um, was offered a job on Sunday nights as a student who said no to that job because they said, well, as much as I need that money and it would be great money, I've got a family who I've committed to. And so if family is a priority, you commit to being with your brothers and sisters. 
Let your yes be yes and your no be no. For some of you, the reason you're not showing up isn't because you're flaky, it's because you're disorganized. You're saying, ah, oh, I didn't make it, I just completely forgot. And what I would say to you is, keeping a diary, having a diary, a calendar, whatever, on your phone or paper, is an act of love. It's an act of love. You might say, how? Because not showing up or always double booking yourself or whatever, is saying, my plans and my priorities and my time is more important than yours. But when you get a diary and you stick to it, you're saying, I value your invite, I value you as a person, and I'm going to do all I can to make this commitment. Quality time. And we can all grow in this. Uh, I know that uh, in, my, in my own life, I'm like, how can I improve in this? We all have next steps that we can take. But it won't happen by accident. It won't happen from you just hearing this sermon tonight. It takes intentionality. If we want family we're going to have to fight for it. And let's look again at our motivation, just as we close. We're family because we're united by Jesus. Ephesians 4, 5, that verse we looked at earlier. God decided in advance to adopt us into his family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. We're family because of Jesus. We are in Christ, brothers and, and sisters through his love and because of his love. And we love and give and serve and, and hug and send letters. We do all those things. We give of ourselves, not because we're good people who are just motivating ourselves, but because we have a God who gave everything for us, who held nothing back. And so we want to live in that same way. We want to love in that same way. And so we're going to end by looking at our motivation. We're going to end by taking communion.